Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. Coming up on this Tuesday edition of the program, tonight is the exciting night, the uh, super blue blood moon. All kinds of things happening with the moon. We'll uh, have just a reminder about that because it'll be kind of neat to look at if you get out there. Some other headlines to look at and then a few stories related to uh, health uh, that we're going to talk about that are uh, pretty important to take a look at. So we'll take a look at that and uh, other topics as well. Coming up on this Tuesday edition of Trumper Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG. Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. I'm Dwight Falk. Grant Turgeon is here today as well on this Tuesday. Uh, Going to be a nice day for us today in Edmond, Oklahoma City area, getting back up into the uh, high 50s. And then I think tomorrow, if you can believe the forecast, they're talking about 70. But then, if you can believe it even further down the road, Sunday they're talking like 20s. High, so we, we've been riding this temperature roller coaster, and maybe that's contributing to this flu outbreak. I don't know, but it is sort of strange to keep going up and down temperature wise. It's sort of just become a predictable amount of unpredictability. We start to think that we're already in the spring, and then we go jolting right back into winter, uh, back and forth, back and forth. But that's just kind of how it always is here. Apparently, we're the most extreme in terms of weather changes in the whole country. It messes with uh, things growing in the yards. I We did just a little bit of yard work this last uh, weekend, and I saw some plants that were sort of hesitant. I'm like, should we grow now? And uh, <laughs> No, not yet, but they're not sure. They don't know what to do. Yeah, it is. it must be confusing. I mean, if they had to think about it, they probably would not know which one they should choose. My wife and I were lamenting the fact that grass grows like crazy in our flower bed, but we can't get it to grow in the lawn the way we want to. <laughs> I said somehow we have to trick it, like make it think it's, it's somewhere else so it'll grow. Because it always grows where you don't want it, but where you want it, then it doesn't want to grow. You should perform a transplant, get that nasty weed grass into your lawn somehow. Yeah. Uh, some people really have beautiful lawns, but it takes a lot of work. Here in Oklahoma, especially because it, it gets pretty dry, we are in a drought right now, too. So we could use some moisture. Today's a big day. Tonight, this evening, the blue moon, super moon, total lunar eclipse rolled into one fantastic display. The eclipse will be visible best in the western half of the U.S. and Canada before the moon sets early Wednesday morning. And across the Pacific into Asia as the moon rises Wednesday night into Thursday. So for those of us a little more on the western side of the U.S. here, we'll have a, a good look at it uh, in the morning, early Wednesday morning. The U.S. East Coast, you're out of luck. Uh, the moon will be setting just as the eclipse gets started, so you won't be able to see it probably. Europe and most of Africa and South America will also uh, pretty much miss the show. So not everybody gets to see this, but most uh, people in the western U.S. will. Uh, Noah Petro He's uh, from NASA. He said, uh, I'm calling it the Super Bowl of Moons. 
So uh, others are preferring to call it this. <laughs> <laughs> others are preferring to call it the Super Blue Blood Moon. Either way, they say it's guaranteed to impress, and uh, the moon will actually be the closest to Earth on Tuesday, just over 223,000 miles away. Can't get there on just one tank of gas, but uh, it's going to be a little closer than normal. So if you get a chance, go out today or this evening into tomorrow, check out the blue moon, super moon, total lunar eclipse. Yeah, and apparently it's a Super Bowl moon on Super Bowl week. It's pretty pretty timely to have these two big events in the same week like that. I don't know how often that would ever happen. But even even early this morning, there was like a thick orange ring around the moon. I don't know if you saw that, but mm. uh, I was I was trying to remember if, if it fit all the criteria that we had discussed earlier that you're mentioning right now. Yeah, tonight's the night. So I, I, I was made me think about songs with the moon in the title. Here are the top ten songs of all time with moon in the title. See if you know these. Number ten is uh, Fly Me to the Moon by Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah. Number nine, There's a Moon Out Tonight by Capri, I believe. Uh, number three in 1960. Hmm. Allegheny Moon, Patty Page. Moon Glow by Benny Goodman. That was in uh, 1934. <laughs> number six is uh, Moonlight Becomes You by Bing Crosby. That was popular in 1942. Blue Moon, that might be one of the more famous ones. The Marcells, that was in 1961. Moon Glow and Theme from Picnic, not familiar. <laughs> that was popular in 1956. By the Light of the Silvery Moon by Billy Murray. Of course, I think most people are familiar with that one. That was uh, pre-1920, but then it was, uh, I guess it was a big hit. Yeah, 1910, they said. So, uh, How High the Moon, that's the number two popular song, and we can actually tell them uh, it's 223,000 miles. That's nice. <laughs> and uh, number one, Moonlight Cocktails, Glenn Miller, uh, number one, 10 weeks in 1942. So those are the top 10 most popular songs with uh, Moon in the title over the years. So you, I'm sure you've heard of some of those. I've heard of a few. Uh now that now that you're talking about this, it makes me wonder why there haven't been more songs talking about the moon, just because of how beautiful it is and how, you know, if you're doing anything at night, usually the moon is a big part of it, yet it's not in too many songs. Yeah, there's uh, there's other lists out there where there are um, some and, and more modern ones, recent ones, and uh, especially when you start getting into like the uh, pop rock genre, they have a few extras, but mm. these are probably the most well-known, so... Um, I was going to sing a medley of them, but um, I just didn't have time to get it all together. <laughs> didn't bring my keyboard. <laughs> you were orchestrating it yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, see if see if I can get any traction with that, get a recording contract. <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, the Super Bowl is coming up. And, uh, you know, some people have the opportunity to actually buy Super Bowl tickets at face value every year. I mean, because if you don't buy them at face value, you're going to spend thousands of dollars. How does it work? Well, it says your best chance for buying face value tickets to the Super Bowl is to be a season ticket holder with an NFL team. If your team is actually playing in the Super Bowl, even better. That's because the NFL divvies up 75% of all Super Bowl tickets to each team in the league using the following math. 17.5% go to the AFC champion, 17.5% to the NFC champion, 6.2% to the host team, 33.6% are distributed among the remaining 28 teams. So you have a 1.2% uh, of each team uh, ticket holders will get the opportunity. So wow. if you're a season ticket holder, you have a chance to get face-of-value Super Bowl tickets. 
Yeah, that's where any sort of season tickets uh, come in handy. Whenever the playoffs come around, you get first priority to all the playoff games. And maybe each round of the playoffs costs a little bit more, but at least you know that you get the chance to go if you want to, which, like like you said, if if you don't have those tickets already, you're in big trouble because you're going to get gouged by someone who you know makes makes sure that he charges 200 times what it actually is worth. The remaining 25.2% of all Super Bowl tickets then are the NFL controls them and sells them to various partners and sponsors. So uh, I remember years back, I think it was in 96 when the Packers went to the Super Bowl, and uh, I was still living back in Wisconsin at the time. And so, of course, a lot of actually my coworkers went. They bought packages to go to the Super Bowl, and I forget which state it was in at the time. It's, I want to say it was maybe it was in the Superdome. might have been down in New Orleans, but... Uh, in any event, so there was a lot of companies selling packages, tickets, uh, hotel, flight, the whole the whole work. So a lot of people did that, but then, of course, what happens, some of it was fraudulent. In some cases, you get there and find out you don't actually have a ticket to the game. So that was a big scandal oh. after the fact. So if anybody is listening that is planning on uh, taking that big trip, got to really double-check and make sure it's uh, legitimate. Oh, every time, every time I hear something else about another scam, you just I just get a little bit more worried that that one of these days it's going to hit me too (laughs) gotta just check yeah you know when you go of course when you go to a playoff game like in the nba uh, a lot of times you get a shirt that's kind of the your little prize for coming i guess (laughs) and i was just i wonder what they get at super bowls i wonder probably just uh pretty neat stuff i would imagine at least a shirt i want a helmet give me just give me a real nfl helmet i could i could put on my desk or something yeah make it worth people's while for traveling across the country paying thousands of dollars for the seats that normally wouldn't cost thousands of dollars i think it'd be fair a helmet's worth like 340 dollars apparently really yeah i've looked up an actual size helmet and it's unbelievable just how expensive they are yeah it's i don't know when i was a kid i always i always wanted a football helmet for just to play around in the yard (laughs) everybody i think that's common for a lot of kids they want the helmet but uh there's no reason to have it (laughs) Just to wear it. Just wear it in your house. I mean, if you're doing construction, I guess. Uh, here's a report from money.cnn.com. Europe's economy grew faster than the U.S. last year. We had a pretty good year here in the U.S. overall, but Europe had an even better year. Economic growth in the 19 countries that used the euro currency surged by 2.5% in 2017, uh, according to uh, official data published Tuesday. Growth in the 28-member European Union was also up 2.5% last year. President Trump says it's because of him. Well, I mean, he might have a bit of a point there. <laughs> the, glo- the global economy is is growing in some ways. It says it's the best period of growth for both groupings since 2007, putting Europe just ahead of the 2.3% expansion posted by the U.S. in 2017. Europe, which has suffered years of uh, anemic growth caused by a series of debt crises, is part of a global economic resurgence that could continue in 2018. Let the good times roll. So anything the U.S. economy can do, the Eurozone, the Eurozone economy can do slightly better, it seems, said Jacob Deppy, head of trading at online currency broker uh, Infinux Capital. Uh, so he's uh, taking a look at that and saying, well, yeah, the U.S. did well. Europe did a little bit better. Um, and so if you if you pay attention to Bible prophecy, you know that uh, this European Union, this final pairing down that they'll get to is uh, going to be an economic juggernaut for a time. So they they are having some growth, even though, as it points out, 
it's not all great. Uh, unemployment is falling, but it remains high among young workers. That's still holding back some countries. And then, of course, integrating migrants remains an economic and political challenge. So some good, some bad, but they are growing there in Europe. And it still says a lot that even though things are trending upward in America, that by some metrics, Europe is even still doing better, despite the, the challenges that you just uh, pointed out there. They're, they're going through a lot of earth-shaking trials right now in Europe that uh, maybe we're not going through quite as much yet over here, although we do have some issues of our own. And, and still, they're doing pretty well. Um, it's amazing how, how they're able to to do that and it just points back to how the entire european union was actually formed to be a dominant economic force but even beyond that uh, eventually a political and military force too and when they look at the individual nations you know, some are stronger than others in, in terms of economically so that ties right in too with that the toes of the daniel image there uh, if you're familiar with that there's iron and there's clay some are strong some are weak they don't stick together real well, but for a time they do. And so you do have some of your stronger nations, such as Germany, and then others that are sort of struggling and not doing quite as well. But Germany's really the engine there driving things in Europe. So it'll be interesting. I guess that's one thing that um, Angela Merkel could be happy about, I guess. She's got a lot of pressure from the all the immigration, but I guess she could at least point to the economy doing somewhat better. Right, and Germany's still in charge. I mean, there's no doubt about that over there. She can, she can still always be pointing to that. Uh, but the reality is a lot of nations over there have realized that they've maybe gotten themselves into a bit of a trap. They've lost a lot of their national sovereignty in, t in terms of protecting their borders, controlling who lives within their borders. Uh, but it's, it's a little too late after a while. If you, if you agree to that, um, it's pretty hard to, to back out of it as we're seeing with Britain. Yeah, uh, Theresa May looks like she might be in some trouble over there, too, So in Britain. So we'll see what happens there. And then uh, also tonight, of course, is President Trump's State of the Union address. Uh, high drama, high intrigue. Yes. <laughs> there are people that are for him and against him, and they're both pretty uh, staunch in their positions. And apparently, from what the early reports are, he'll talk a fair bit about infrastructure in the U.S. So that is something that uh, needs to be addressed, you know. Uh, where does the money come from from all those for all those things? I don't know, but uh, anyway, in the short term, you never know. I mean, it could put some people to work, um, and uh, if people are willing to get out there and do those jobs. But you, anywhere you go, you do see disrepair. It's probably uh, it's probably highlighted the most maybe if you go through some airports. Things just seem to be pretty worn down here in the U.S. compared to some other international uh, airports, and uh, and just you know depending on where you live, if if it's a better area and the tax the tax brackets a little higher things are probably taken care of pretty well but but if it's not so much that way then uh there's a lot of dilapidated cities and so forth and roads and highways and so um there's a lot that could be done to improve the infrastructure of the u.s president trump is very pro infrastructure which traditionally uh isn't isn't quite such a republican priority just because uh, some of the things he even proposed were going to cost about a trillion dollars. That's a lot of the time. That's something that will deter a lot of fiscal conservatives. Uh, but he does see the need for it. And, and there could be an argument made for uh, the fact, like you said, so many people will be getting put to work that you might also then have a lot more taxpayers, a lot more people who are no longer just taking welfare benefits from the government, but actually going to work. So maybe that could offset the cost in some ways. 
there's really nothing to be too critical about in terms of a plan like that. Now, again, maybe maybe the funding wouldn't exactly be there, but but in turn, I was just trying to think about, say, the rebuttal from the other side, and I, I'm sure they'll hit them on a few things, immigration and so forth. But, uh, I mean, if he comes out and says we want to improve the infrastructure of the country, I don't know why anybody would complain about that. I mean, that's, that's a pretty positive thing for everybody. Well, that's the one thing that uh, Democrats probably secretly love about the things that he wants to get done. Uh, they probably wouldn't have too much to say about it except for they wish someone else were in charge enacting all these programs. <laughs> or, yeah, or maybe they'd talk about allocating the money. Mm-hmm. I, c- I could already envision the headlines like, you want to spend all this on a bridge, what about building our bridge to the future, you know, <laughs> with the economy, or, or not the economy, with education and, you know, far-flung regions or something. Well, they're pretty predictable after a while, aren't they? The same taglines, it's like, Every one of them is is saying the exact same thing word for word. That's actually that would be a really fun. I don't know what you'd want to call it. Just a, a little a friendly wager around the office. S- just have everybody write up like ten headlines that they think will happen, <laughs> and then everyone just throws them in, and you just see how close you get. I bet that would be a pretty fun game, actually. Oh yeah, you could already just come up with a bunch of them. I mean, how how much how likely is it that there are going to be some sort of headlines accusing him of saying a dog whistle toward white nationalism or something like that no matter what he says you always see these headlines about dog whistles or you know just about how underhanded he is and discriminating against certain groups of people it doesn't even matter what the the subject is or what actually happened they have already made up their minds to cover it in a certain way yeah, it was just what's that game? Uh, Mad Libs. <laughs> right. You just we, I, isn't that how where you have a certain words and you just kind of fill in the rest of it? Yeah, it tells yeah. you to put like an adjective in this blank and noun in this blank and so on. Yeah, so we you could just do that and then because all you'd have to do is put down certain things like you said, like you know, uh, white supremacy, and you could put down Russia investigation and. Uh, you know, so on and so forth, immigration, and then just fill it in. Yeah, that's the the sad state of uh, so-called journalism now, that people could, without much thought whatsoever, pretty much tell you what the day's headlines are going to be, just just based on, well, all you'd have to do is look at the president's tweets early in the morning, and then you could form pretty much all of the headlines based on those tweets. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty predictable. Yeah, speaking of... Uh, tweets and Twitter and all that. Uh, we talked yesterday about the, I think it was a New York Times piece, where people are buying their Twitter followers in some cases. And well, it's starting to affect some people. Actually, after that piece came out yesterday, there's a film critic, uh, pretty well-known, I guess. I think he works for the Chicago Tribune, maybe. And uh, he's been uh, suspended, like his writing, at least, because he was named in that article as somebody that bought his Twitter followers. So it could have some real-world implications for some people. Uh, he's the first one. I, you know, it, it's, it reminds me almost of, like, these different movements that are happening. Somebody comes out and says something like the Me Too movement, and all of a sudden the dominoes fall. Now it's the fake Twitter followers. I mean, I thought, wow, you know, what would they call that movement? You know, like, uh, real hashtag real Twitter friends or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, like, this guy's the first one to go, and I, I don't know. I suppose others could as well. I, I, it would be interesting. I mean, how would you... If you're if you're in a a company or you're paying somebody based upon the fact that you think they have a lot of followers, do you call them in and say, "Well, prove it, prove that uh-huh. you have these followers, or else you know we're not going to use you anymore"? That'd be kind of interesting. Probably, I'm I'm actually surprised to hear that that newspaper 
uh, suspended the guy because it didn't seem like something that would actually have any sort of, you know, professional repercussions like that. Uh, it's nice to see that maybe some people are actually taking action uh, because from what I understand, you know, if a newspaper is just has a film critic who's writing for them, it doesn't really matter too much necessarily how much, how many followers he has. That's not directly related to like how much they pay him. Probably I would think maybe it is, maybe that's why they actually got upset at him, but it doesn't seem like it. Um, it, and yet at the same time in society, we have, like you said, the me too movement where a lot of people, once they get exposed for lying about it, face absolutely no punishment whatsoever. Uh, there is no criminal charge for perjuring someone else in that situation. Uh, and there, maybe there should be because it, I mean, you're, you are just completely ruining people's reputation without, without having to worry that maybe it'll come back on you. Yeah. Maybe it's just because of in the Twitter case, if somebody is found out to have bought their followers or some of them, that maybe they just, they don't have credibility in you know in their field anymore yeah. or something like that I, maybe that's why or maybe because because if you're if you're a paper or anything and you have somebody working for you that's associated with that it kind of makes the whole organization seem a little bit fake and i wonder if maybe that's the problem mm-hmm. there so maybe the, the author the guy that was writing about this film critic being uh suspended at least for a while he was kind of funny because at the end he said i'm proud to say i've earned all of my three thousand twitter followers <sighs> the honest way, which is by reposting other people's material and jokes. <laughs> I thought, well, yeah, I mean, come on. That's what Twitter is most of the time, right? I mean, there is some value to it, but a lot of times it's just you saw something that you thought was funny and you just reposted it. Yeah, normally we have to dig through a lot of clutter to find anything worthwhile or to even find an original thought on someone's Twitter page because it's so easy to just repost what someone else has already said or there's a ton of advertisements pinned in there or people are getting paid to tweet about their different sponsors so yeah the actual tweets with some real insight and value are few and far between yeah they really are here's a, just an interesting note uh, from the Seattle Times this happened over in Italy uh, it's easy to get frustrated sometimes with delivery services including the uh, post office and you mailed something and somebody says I never I never receive that if people still mail things these days <laughs> sometimes it just doesn't get delivered half ton of undelivered mail found in Italy postman's garage <laughs> and it wasn't all addressed to his garage <laughs> Italians fed up with the country's lousy postal service may now have found a culprit apparently it's bad over there police say they discovered nearly a half ton of undelivered mail in a rogue postman's garage the Postal Police said the 573-kilogram stash uh, in uh, the home of the 56-year-old postman was the biggest seizure of mail ever undertaken in Italy. The missing mail had been collecting for the past eight years and included utility bills, bank statements, old phone books, and political propaganda mailings from the 2010 <laughs> regional elections. So now they claim they're going to deliver it all, but isn't that kind of funny? You're just going to give it back to the post office. <laughs> and maybe it'll just be dispersed <laughs> to somebody else's garage. <laughs> and it, I, I think if I was a customer, I'd say, well, I don't want it now. No. Don't give me the old phone book and the old propaganda mailings from 2010. Yeah, eight, eight years later, what what use is there to that? Apparently, uh, so we've heard of things like this happening uh, sometimes here and there where mail gets lost and then they, they trace it back to whose fault it was. Uh, but apparently for some of these people, they have to get the mail out by the end of the day 
and there's some sort of maybe a dock and pay or something like that if they don't get it all out in one day. So maybe they just hide it and think they can make it up another day, and then it just starts piling up, and they can't keep up anymore, but they don't want to pay the fine. I mean, it's a pretty tough situation. I've heard of several people who have worked in that field, and they say how tough it is to actually keep on schedule with that. Yeah, you're probably right. It doesn't. He didn't hide it all in a day. No, it took time, and he. You're right. Probably was like, well, I can I can deliver these tomorrow, mm-hmm. and then you know you can't, and you get behind, and then. I bet if they talked to him, he'd probably say, well, I, I was planning on, you know, I still am planning on delivering this. <laughs> but it, it, it's like anything in a life where a lot of times if we have a, a problem, uh, it starts out small and then it kind of builds and builds and builds to then you look at it and you say, well, this is overwhelming. How am I going to take care of this? Whether it be something physical like, you know, not cutting your lawn for a while and all of a sudden you got a jungle out there <laughs> or uh, in this case, delivering mail. So uh, I don't know anything about the, you know, workings of the Postal Service, other than the uh, old comedic show Seinfeld, where Newman was a postman, or he's a <laughs> mail guy. And uh, I just remember him saying, it, it just never stops. <laughs> the mail keeps coming. Because <laughs> yeah. I think they had, a, they had a show where he did that as a joke. You know, he that was one of the storylines. He didn't deliver the mail because he got <laughs> it was, he was hiding it in his apartment because yeah. he said it just doesn't stop. <laughs> you know what? I just, I ran out of time. See, it's hard to keep up. I mean, I think you'd have to be really, you'd have to probably study the routes a lot to get used to all the addresses or find the, the most efficient way to, to get to every single address. It would be a really tough job depending on how much mail you get each day. And if you end up bringing it, Maybe, maybe there shouldn't be so many penalties for bringing a little bit back at the end if there's some sort of proof that they actually were busting tail to try to get it all delivered. I wonder if they look at it, too, and they think, like, oh, surely they don't want this, you know, political propaganda. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that would call into question a lot of things, not that they would look at this, but what about the the election from 2010 there in Italy? What, did it go fairly? Because the guys, whoever's propaganda didn't get delivered, mm-hmm. maybe that threw the election. Or, you know, if you got evicted because you didn't pay your right. bill. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, consequences here. Yeah, there really are. That, that political candidate probably paid for that kind of support, and maybe certain people didn't even know who he was because they didn't get that in the mail. And, and the that did say there were a lot of bills that were left undelivered, which probably made people happy <laughs> to, to think that they weren't getting charged that month, but apparently they were, and it could affect a lot of credit scores because they didn't pay it. And then, you know, you tell the company, the utility company, I never got the bill, and they say, oh, come on. You know, <laughs> like we've heard that one before, and you're like, seriously, I never saw it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's an unfortunate situation there. Yeah, what What do they say about, uh, what is it, UPS drivers or FedEx drivers? They oh, they only turn right, they never turn left. Mm. So, I've read something like that. Yeah, that's interesting. I that, That's not true. I've seen them go all, all directions in my neighborhood. I've seen them turn every which way, oh. including in complete circles. I'm trying to remember if I've ever seen one turn left, yeah. now that you say it. Keep your I'm, eye peeled. I'm pretty sure I saw somebody the other day, and I thought, <laughs> wait a second, you're not supposed to ever turn that way. That planted a seed of doubt in my mind. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> yeah, keep your eye out, and uh, if you if you catch that, you can let us know, because I, I can't believe they only ever turn that one direction. <laughs> Sometimes you can't. You gotta, It's a one way. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, if that's a rule, then they deserve all the sympathy in the world for not getting their mail delivered on time. If they can only turn one way, come on, how can you expect them to get it all done? It's impossible. It's too much time. I get my neighbor's mail pretty often. <laughs> so I actually, I do, my, I do kind of play the role of a postman because I usually walk across the road and give it to them. 
You should just put it in your garage, let it stack up. Yeah. Give it to him eight years later. Piles and piles of mail. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Trumpet Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG, and thanks for joining us online, too, at kpcg.fm and uh, at thetrumpet.com. You can guarantee we don't keep the show in the garage. We send it out <laughs> to the world. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, for real, no bots, please. You can uh, follow us at kpcgfm. Any emails you'd like to send, send those to uh, comments at kpcg.fm. Make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. The top story, it's really interesting, The Smoke and Mirrors of Medical Marijuana. It's by Jorg Mardian. He's a uh, holistic nutritionist. He's on uh, the Trumpet Hour program fairly often. And uh, this write-up's from him. Do the scientific health benefits of marijuana outweigh its downside? That's a hot topic. A lot of people, uh, well, forget even medical marijuana now. People just say, just give me that uh, marijuana one way or the other. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it does seem like marijuana is in this strange loophole where uh, people somehow are able to overlook all of the bad side effects because of maybe one or two things that they think it helps with. Um, I, I can't imagine them doing that with like, with like Adderall or something like, well, it helps you focus really, really hard. Yeah, but it's an addictive pain-killing drug that you shouldn't take very much of. I mean, it, there there are pr- plenty plenty of pretty logical ways to say, yeah, okay, it might help you in this one way, but just because, you know, just because cocaine makes you feel alive for a couple hours doesn't mean that it has any actual health benefits or it's it's worth taking. Yet with marijuana, it has the respiratory uh, side effects of five cigarettes in terms of the tobacco or, you know, it even it even has a problem with uh, people's mental stability. Once once they get off the high, they're more irritable, they're more depressed. Uh, there are plenty of side effects there that probably should tell people it doesn't matter if you might think it helps you with one thing because there are so many so many bad parts to it as well. Yeah, in the 1980s, you know, a lot of listeners will remember the war on drugs and uh, First Lady Nancy Reagan with, with her Just Say No uh, campaign and there was a lot of commercials uh, against drugs and really against marijuana was one of the main ones they targeted and I I just have to wonder well what what's the difference between now and then did they learn something new where it turns out it's not that bad or did we just give up and say well people are going to do it anyway because if you if you just look at the history uh, recent history of drugs or it doesn't necessarily even have to be say an illegal drug but just things people consume there's times where, where if you listen to the popular thinking, uh, you would believe a certain product is great for you. Only come to find out, you know, 10, 15 years later, well, you shouldn't be doing that. They used to think smoking was fine or advertised it that way. There's been plenty of foods that have been sold as uh, great and wonderful. And now we have diseases because of it. Uh, soda pop, whatever you want to call it. Soda, soda pop, Coke, I don't know. <laughs> Depending on where you live in the country, there's different terms for it. People are very particular, by the way, about that. Um, but that that was you know promoted as no big deal. It still sort of is. But now people are beginning to look at the the destructive health, uh, uh, well, the the destruction that it causes to your health. And so, uh, are we so sure now about marijuana? Is everyone so sure? We haven't been very good at being sure and being accurate in the past. Well, maybe it's a reaction to that war on drugs because it seems like pretty much virtually everyone now, whether Republican or Democrat, you know, uh, conservative or liberal or anywhere in between, they all think that the war on drugs was a big mistake uh, and that maybe drug laws should be 
are loosened in some way. Um, conservatives believe that at least you could tax drugs if you make them legal. Um, liberals think that that you should just be allowed to do them and and have your own choice there. So uh, that even that that way of thinking is wrong. It just shows you how fast we can change our minds on things when when pretty much probably everyone used to agree that the war on drugs is a good thing. Now most everyone agrees that it's not. Where is the truth of the matter? What What's actually right and what's actually wrong? Does it really change with the times, or should we just pretty much always be waging war against drugs like that? It's a really interesting write-up. The Smoke and Mirrors of Medical Marijuana. It's at thetrumpet.com uh, in relation to uh, soda. There's a uh, little write-up that I found. Is that pcog.org, just some uh, information about soda because people are, <laughs> really a lot of people are kind of getting rid of that habit. Uh, it says, uh, kick the can. <laughs> can you imagine gulping down a third of a cup of sugar in one sitting? You probably have. And you've seen commercials like this where, or or maybe public service announcements where they show you the sugar content of some foods and you think, well, at least I do, I think, wow, I would never sit down and eat a pile of sugar <laughs> like that. Some kids are probably like, yeah, what's the problem? <laughs> Delicious. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> But then that's what's in some of the content, some of the or some of the food. It says drinking one soda per day can increase your risk of heart attack by twenty percent. And then if you couple that with not sleeping enough, you can imagine how much it goes up. Drinking one can a day can make you gain one extra pound each month. Uh, and don't kid yourself; most people drink more than a can a day if they drink it. About eighty percent of people who regularly drink soda will suffer from long-term liver damage. Soda's pH level uh, is below. Or as low as 2.5, which dissolves tooth enamel. Phosphoric acid in soda contributes to the formation of kidney stones and kidney disease. Citrus sodas, like Mountain Dew, contain preservatives that cause nerve disorders and memory loss. So if people drink a lot of Mountain Dew and you ask them, they say, well, I don't remember how many I had. <laughs> but uh, that's all. I mean, that's been sold. It still is. It's sold everywhere. And uh, But when people really start to look at it, they say, well, this is a pretty bad deal. Uh, from the CDC, they have a map here of where people consume the most uh, sugary drinks. It, it doesn't just have to be soda. There's a lot of drinks out there that are in the same vein. Oklahoma doesn't do so hot. Over 35% of the population consumes uh, uh, them at least once a day. That We're the worst state, along with uh, uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, and a few others. Oklahoma's in there. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, but, but okay, so people are starting to say, you know what, maybe this isn't so good, I'm going to dump this habit. And some people are able to do that, which is good. Oh, the company's ahead of you, though. <laughs> Washington Post today. The future of soda might be coffee. It says, coffee drinkers tend to savor their brew in the morning and switch to soda or water as the day goes on. But the world's largest beverage companies want to turn that morning cup of joe into an all-day staple and an heir to the sodas that consumers have soured on. On Monday, coffee giant Keurig Green Mountain acquired Dr. Pepper Snapple. Yes, it's all the same company. <laughs> the maker of 7-Up Hawaiian Punch and other popular drinks. The reason, they say, they're trying to reach consumers throughout the day. We want people to drink our stuff all day. And they know that people don't want soda anymore, not like they used to because of the health problems. So they're developing different types of coffee drinks to suck you in throughout the day. And so if you added in coffee to soda probably oh, just about like 80 percent of people maybe do it, drink at least one of those beverages every single day um and it's not like having a cup of coffee here and there is a bad thing 
or even having a soda really occasionally it's not always a bad thing it does get back to moderation i mean uh the thing going back to the previous subject with marijuana just having one is very bad and and it does fundamentally alter your health and your mental your mental state um having one drink of alcohol is not necessarily a bad thing um but but you can see that there's a pretty coordinated uh plan here from these companies that just want to get people hooked and it goes it just goes beyond enjoying an occasional treat to where it becomes a necessity to where like well, if you don't have your three coffees a day, then you get a really bad headache. That's going to make people want to stick with coffee. If they, if they don't, if they want to avoid a headache or whatever the other side effects are, once you get addicted, it's hard to go back. And a lot of these drinks that they're trying to push out there, it's not the coffee you brew at home. It's it's the one that's pre-made and in the store, or you buy it and bring it home, put it in the fridge. And it, it, you look at the ingredients. I mean, it's it is soda just with a different some coffee flavoring in there and and some differences but not not a lot analysts say the new firm to be named Keurig Dr Pepper just what the doctor ordered is uh, far from alone in its quest to reinvent America's favorite breakfast drink over the past 2 years many of the country's largest coffee chains and beverages makers have pushed aggressively into new product lines intended for consumption in the afternoon and evening several of those firms such as Panera Stumptown and others are already owned by Keurig's corporate parent, J.A.B. Holdings. J.A.B. Holdings owns, like, all of it. (laughs) (laughs) They're a German firm owned by a family of secretive billionaires. Very secretive. (laughs) They spent the past six years snapping up not only companies that make coffee, but also restaurant chains that sell large volumes of it. So they they have the restaurants that sell the beverages. In addition to Keurig Green Mountain, uh, they have uh, Pete's Coffee, Panera, Caribou, all Bon Pien, whatever that is, Krispy Kreme, Stumptown, Roasters, uh, Intellig- Intelligentsia, and Jacob's Dewey Egberts. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know what that is. The world's largest coffee-only company. Consumers of all ages have begun turning away from soft drinks, creating both a crisis for soda makers and an opportunity for virtually everyone else. They say, uh, we, we're seeing these coffee drinks now that actually resemble soda. It's a way to get into that segment because coffee is natural and healthy and tracks with consumer trends. Well, depending on what they put in it, I guess. <laughs> Among the firms getting in on all-day coffee, Watson said, are some of the world's largest soda brands. Pepsi makes Starbucks ready to drink coffees. Hmm. They come from Pepsi. And Coca-Cola last year launched versions of Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's coffees. So it's all the same companies. They just changed the label and the recipe, and they're still selling it to everybody. That's bad news for anyone who thinks they're sticking it to the corporations by stopping their their uh, consumption of soda. It, it doesn't really matter. Yep. Uh, they're, they're smarter. They're smarter than that. They're smarter than we are in almost every case because that's how they got to where they are in the first place. That's how they're so rich and profitable because they're they're good at marketing what they do and right now coffee is seen as nearly a necessity by most people because of the marketing campaign who knows if that might change in five or ten years but if it does change they'll be ready and they'll they'll have some other marketing plan to take its place i mean that's how it's always going to be um and you can't really fault them for it they have to sell their product that's the that's the one thing that matters to these companies and it's up to every one of us individually to just make sure we don't gorge ourselves on them. You can have it once in a while, but just don't don't make it to where you can't live without it. It is amazing. You, you know, you would think, well, I'm I'm not going to buy a 
I'm not going to buy a Pepsi. I'll get this uh, Starbucks over here. Yeah. It's the same people. <laughs> yeah, you know? They don't care. And like, yeah, we, we'll sell you whatever you want. You can buy that. You can buy that. The Pepsi's cheaper. <laughs> right. <laughs> the coffee, they, they could charge you more for the coffees. Put them in a fancy bottle. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. So you guys just, just check the ingredients, see what you're getting into. Uh, make sure you listen for the Trumpet Daily today with your host, Stephen Fleury. Really great show today. Um, interview with Dr. Mazar from when he was over there in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, Brent Noctegall and Chris Freems as well. They do a feature from a giant cave. So if you like uh, cave radio, this is for you. That was that was really uh, entertaining to listen to. And, and they were pretty funny joking around about how Chris Freems used to be Brent Noctegall's assistant, but now he's kind of the head over that area so Brent Noctegall can focus on some other parts of his job. Uh, so they were asking him like how he feels about his newfound power. <laughs> He's saying how much he enjoys it. So it was it was a really unique show today, and just uh, showed a little bit of their personalities as well. Yeah, well, it does show you that, especially when you're in the field of archaeology, everyone becomes a fossil and a relic eventually. <laughs> Brett Noctegall <laughs> peaking at thirty. <laughs> yeah, it's all downhill. But uh, really interesting uh, program today. Great interview. And uh, for those interested in Jerusalem, Jerusalem archaeology, it's a, it's a can't miss. So if you can't catch the whole thing live here or the replay, uh, you can find it online there as well. Also, I want to just mention the Watch Jerusalem website if you haven't been there. Uh, one of the great write-ups is uh, by Christopher Eames, Top 5 Discoveries in Biblical Archaeology in 2017. They're always finding things, and they're really interesting. He's got a good write-up about that. So check that uh, Watch Jerusalem website. Reminder as well, if uh, you still have time, depending on when you're hearing this, uh, you might get tickets for tonight's concert at Armstrong Auditorium if you're in the local area for the Moscow Festival Ballet. They have their second to final performance this evening at 7.30 p.m. So they're pretty good. Saw them last night. Yeah, my wife went, and I, I stayed home with Loma, and she was giving me everything I could handle. <laughs> I, I had her uh, lying down on the bed, and then she... She was kicking me really hard, so I pushed her across, and she rolled all the way back just to start kicking me some more. <laughs> it's like It was like her only form of entertainment last night, but uh, Anya told me it was great, so I'm, I'm glad that she was able to enjoy herself in the process of me getting kicked in the ribs. <laughs> you just wait until uh, your daughter's a little older, because when the, the ballet comes, it's a must-do, and they get their, my daughter had her you know, the ballet dress on and got, got a picture with one of the, one of the dancers. So oh, wow. it's pretty, it's, it's really a highlight for them. Yeah. Loma already seems to have the Irish dance steps down with the, the amount of stomping and kicking that she does. So ballet will probably be, be natural as well. Natural, uh, natural uh, for babies to kick and dance and move. <laughs> Pinch, scratch, yep. scream, bite me. All, all of the uh, it's yeah. a fun night. Yeah, I, I missed the ballet, but at least it, at least I got to enjoy that. <laughs> you're you're going to need that football helmet after all. Uh, we have an interesting uh, write up to just comment on here uh, at the for the rest of the show today, just tying in with some of the health things we've been looking at. Uh, it's for write up from PCOG.org. We are what we eat. Your body's normal condition. This is uh, written by Trumpet Daily host, uh, Mr. Stephen Flurry. And he quotes uh, Mr. Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong, who, who wrote, The largest, most complicated machines man has designed pale into insignificance beside the most wonderful of all mechanisms, the human body and mind. Of course, scientists are still trying to figure out how things work, why things work the way they do in the mind and body. But as it's pointed out here, the way that we are designed is, and the normal condition we should be in is one of health. Uh, too often today, we see illnesses, whether they be temporary or longer lasting, and think that's just natural progression of life. But really, 
Uh, we weren't designed to be sick. And Mr. Armstrong even urged his readers and, and followers to not think of uh, like a seasonal illness as regular either. You know, just getting a cold in the wintertime or a flu here and there should not be thought of as regular or else it becomes a regular occurrence. Uh, sickness is not supposed to be something that just comes around. We should be trying to avoid those things happening if we can. Right, and it, it points out that sickness is not normal or natural, and nor is it normal to always feel tired and lethargic. I mean, if you also start t- you know, making people or, or you know, including people that feel tired and lethargic, that's a huge percent, percentage of the population, or to you know to be overweight, out of shape, all these different things. Uh, no disease, deformity, or sickness can be considered natural or normal, for the simple reason that all those things are not of God. He didn't create disease. It is uh, true, though, of course, that not everybody that has an illness or a problem is because they did something wrong. I mean, there are communicable diseases and so forth. So we're not talking about looking around and you know judging people's <laughs> behaviors, but when we're looking at ourselves. We have to realize we are basically a physical machine, and what we put into it matters. Yeah, it really does. And and even when we do catch a disease from someone else or some sort of a sickness, it always does get back to somebody uh, having broken the law uh, of the laws of physical health, or and even in our situation, if we can possibly avoid those who are sick, we should just just because. Uh, it does obviously pass along in most cases. Uh, so there are a lot of ways that we can try to, uh, a lot of practical ways we can try to apply good health principles to even avoid uh, the mistakes of others sometimes. Yeah, and, and what we eat is uh, so vital to that. And it's pointed out in this article that it is true that man's civilization has degenerated in almost every aspect. Go to the grocery store and look at what they're uh, peddling <laughs> and selling, and what's most available. It's it's a lot of times thing that's things that actually destroy health and they don't build it up. But we can uh, you know make efforts to uh, improve our condition. In uh, the reprint article, answers to questions about health and healing, Mr. Armstrong wrote, "The Almighty God made the human body so that even though composed of material substance from the ground." Its normal condition is one of robust, invigorating, radiant good health. Sometimes it seems like, uh, you know, people get into the mindset of if they have a day where they feel great, it's weird. Like, wow, I felt great today. But really, that should be most every day. <laughs> That's so true. It is. It Sadly, it does become that way a lot of the time where uh, we don't necessarily wake up with a ton of energy and that just kind of sticks with, with us throughout the day. But even that, it does get back to mindset like Mr. Armstrong always talked about if we're excited about what we're doing and and we're fired up that's even a way to sort of help with our physical energy Uh, just just mentally being involved or excited about what we're doing is a way to get get into it and if we wake up feeling dead tired there are other ways physically just to offset that drinking a lot of water doing a lot of stretching or exercising uh, making sure we walk around if we're sitting at a desk all day there are, there are ways to try to make sure that we don't just stagnate, grow roots into our chair, feel sluggish all day long. Yeah, if you look at just the biblical uh, examples here, just it shows God's will. John 10.10, 10, Christ said, I am come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. And an abundant life certainly isn't one where you feel terrible all the time, <laughs> you know, and so... Uh, that is what God wants. And then John, uh, or third John too, uh, this is a very well-known admonition where uh, John wrote, beloved, 
Beloved, I wish above all things that you might prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So it talks about having sound health, being well, as at the same time you're having spiritual well-being. So those two things tie together like you were pointing out, our mindset, how we're living. You know, is there any way, getting back to like that Trumpet.com article, is there any way we can really be fulfilling God's will and being in best our best health if we're hooked on drugs or if we're consuming things that are debilitating us? You know, those two things don't go together. Not at all. And and like you said, uh, what we eat or what we put into our bodies does make such a big difference. And so if we are, uh, even if we are, exercising a lot and putting a lot of these other healthful principles into practice, but we don't do anything about our diet. Don't put any thought into, you know, stopping at a fast food place. If we're in a rush for, for lunch or whatever it might be, uh, those things will pretty much, those wrong decisions will pretty much offset all the good that we've done. I mean, what, what good does exercise do if we're putting the wrong fuel into our bodies too? Yeah. Professional athletes learn that pretty quickly when they get, into their careers they can't eat you know uh poorly and go out and perform they get injured and so they even get to the point where they start hiring a lot of times professional chefs to make sure their diet's right because you can you can run all day and you might be thin but if you're running on empty (laughs) eventually you're going to have some problems exactly and uh it the the hard part of course is that it, it often does take a little bit more of a time investment possibly even more of a money investment sometimes uh, to make sure that we're eating the right way. Uh, I know I've heard from, from people who uh, they have to work all day and they're, they're single. They, they would just make pretty much the week's meals on a Sunday. So they have a day off. They would cook those things in advance. Otherwise, when they get home and they're tired after work, they don't want to have to then put in another hour to make their meal. So there, there are things like that that are actually really uh, smart things that I never thought of <laughs> while I was single. I wish I had, uh, but but that's a good way to make sure that we keep ourselves from necessarily giving into those other temptations and just going out to eat. Right. This article talks about uh, that uh, aspect of investing in our health, and it points out that, of course, our first priority should be spiritual health, but uh, we need to make an investment in our physical health as well. And uh, it says everyone knows what the word investment means in the financial sense, when you commit money towards something that ensures a larger return later. Uh, but if we invest our health into God's work and doing his well, will, then we get even more prosperity and health. It's a virtuous cycle. But it, but even just in terms, if you just look at the physical health side of it, and talking about being younger in most cases, uh, when people are single and so forth, uh, you, you can, you can kind of eat different things and you may not notice it right away, but how about when you're 40, 50, <laughs> it, it does all add up. And so if, uh, even when people are younger and feeling pretty spry, if they can think longer term, that helps because mm-hmm. it is an investment in the future in terms of what kind of condition are you going to be in later in life? Yeah, it really is. We have to be thinking long term and not just what is convenient in the moment. If we, if we always went with what's convenient, uh, for one thing, no character would ever be developed or, uh, in this situation, no health would be developed because we would just go pick something up from the store around the corner and then just pop it in the microwave, just have a TV dinner or whatever it is. I mean, that's, that's convenient. That's easy, but it's not the the best choice. Uh, sometimes I just even have Anya, she just, I just tell her, look, this is the, the diet kind of the, the regimen I'm looking at right now. 
just make it for me. Don't don't give me a choice. Just just go for it. And and sometimes you have to have maybe another person's involvement. If you don't necessarily enjoy the new diet that you're trying to get into or or some sort of restriction that you're putting on yourself to increase your health, maybe get someone else involved who will keep you to it. Yeah, sometimes people uh they get uh they get personal trainers and stuff, which can be expensive and yeah. you know hard to do, but uh but yeah, there's there's somebody that can help with that. And uh, and two, I have found that some things that if you just heard about the meal, you'd think, oh, I don't know about that. But if it's made well, it's amazing how good food can actually be. You know, but we all have seen probably the the sitcom or whatever where the dad's trying to get in better health so he can only eat salads, you know, and everyone's having a good time. And he's got to eat this boring salad. You know, that's the joke. But uh you know, salads can be made great. It doesn't just have to be a bowl of lettuce. Now, that's that's a little bit on the boring side, but it can it can uh, healthy food can be made delicious, and actually, it does end up being much more delicious than say the the processed pre made thing. But there's sort of an aversion to some some of that thinking where, um, I don't know. There's just like this stereotype that eating healthy means boring and not good and not fun, and it's like a punishment. <laughs> But if you can if if you can find a way to eat things that are healthy and delicious, I mean, uh, it really becomes actually quite exciting. Yeah, and that, it seems like that's become kind of a fad. Like certain restaurants that prepare healthier meals, and that's the only thing that they actually serve. Like uh, Cool Greens in town, that's kind of an example that you can order a salad, but there's like thirty different options on their menu, and so each one has you know. T- 15 or 20 ingredients to it and when you put all those things together it's not just lettuce it's not just a boring uh salad or a wrap it actually does have flavor and there's a lot of different variety and we can apply that same principle to making our meals at home you know mix up the combinations and don't just have the same old uh boring salad every single night otherwise who's going to stick with that right yeah no one's gonna (laughs) stick with something they hate doing that's for sure uh, Mr. Stephen Fleury writes in this article, he says, look at the example of Herbert W. Armstrong. Uh, he was a man who, uh, as has been shown throughout this series, this is a whole series of articles, knew a lot about the laws of health, and he worked to apply those laws in his own life. And uh, then he invested his physical health and life in God's work. And what it amounted to is 93 years of robust, invigorating, radiant living. Uh, to say nothing of his spiritual standing in God's kingdom. So he put his effort and his strength into something productive, which was God's work, and and put the health laws into practice. And he had 93 years. I mean, nobody's going to live forever as a human, but if you can have a pretty good long life and be fairly uh, healthy and robust and active throughout it, that's a success. Yeah, he really set a great example in that way, and he was someone who was truly mindful of all aspects of his physical health. He even mentioned how he had a vigorous daily rub down with a towel every day and how that was a big key to uh, extending his life. I mean, there are so many things like that that we probably would never think of, and yet he wrote so much about it. There's so much wisdom there in a lot of his articles and booklets that we can go back and, and we can glean glean from it. Even if we've read it before, we might not remember all of those different points. Well, he's made he made points about things that the medical community is only catching up with now. Like he he dissuaded people from playing tackle football, right? Because of the injury, and now all these years later, people come along and say, "Oh, it messes up your brain." <laughs> well, he wrote about that years ago because of just the principles involved. You know, we're not supposed to run into walls and 
other humans, even though I do enjoy the uh, strategy of the game. <laughs> uh, finally, in this article, it says, if we let our physical health go, even if we reason that we're doing it for a good reason, you know, we're busy or whatever, he says that it's not supporting God's spiritual work or his will. How important to you is your physical health? It says you'll have to answer that for yourself, but I can tell you this, it is extremely important to God. So when you look at some of those scriptures that were mentioned earlier, it is God's will. People often say, well, what's God's will? It's that he, we're healthy. But that means we have to do things that promote health. Yeah, it goes far beyond uh, just tr- trying to follow spiritual principles when, when living God's way. That that does encompass everything. And in a lot of ways, physical health is a foundation. Otherwise, we can't necessarily grow spiritually either. Yeah. Can't, it's hard to do much when you don't feel well. So it's a really good write-up. There's more to it. Uh, you can read the whole thing at pcog.org. We are what we eat, your body's normal condition. That's all the time we have for today on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Toy Folk, have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.